My name is Kyra, and I'm a first-generation Ghanaian-American, raised in Texas, raised on the East Coast, and glazed in Spain and Latin America. As a solo Black female traveler, I've always been fascinated by the stories of immigrants with an I and immigrants with an E. So join me as I interview extraordinary human beings from across the globe as we discuss the life and times of cultural nuances, America versus their own nation, race, a dash of politics and economics, and the stories we share through comedy, agony, and curiosity, of course. Join me today as we discuss with Pilsam from Togo all about being a Black man in America, as well as what it means to be an immigrant, establish a life here, and raise two beautiful children. His story, his reflection, his history on slavery, and the constant fear that you have as being a Black human being are all discussed. Tune in. All right, Sam, tell me a little bit about yourself. All right, my name is Billy Sambali, mm-hmm. actually. Billy Sambali, beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Wait, last name is Billy Sambali. No, no, my first name is actually Billy Sam. Okay, that's what your email says, that Billy Sam. I was like, what's yeah. happening? Okay, first name and last name is what? Bali. Oh, Billy Sambali, okay. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. So, I'm from West Africa, Togo. Mm-hmm. It's a small country next to Ghana. Hey. Uh... Our official language is French, uh-huh. but there's, in total, like, I would think there's about like 70 different languages, like mm. um, local language. Wow, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's it's jam-packed a lot. in like a in a skinny country. Yeah, and um, so the fact that we have everybody speaks French, so we can, you know, we mm-hmm. have that common language. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very small country about a population of New York City mm. and the area of Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. And um, tropical weather, nice. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I came here to the U.S. in 2005. Okay. August 2005. Mm-hmm. August. Yeah, August 2005. I don't recall the exact date. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, I don't recall the day exactly. I know the month and mm-hmm. the year. Mm-hmm. And the way I got here was through my mom. Because uh, she's a, uh, at a time, she was a diplomat. And she worked for uh, what we call a... You can call it a consulate, but it's, we call it officially... It's called Permanent Mission of Togo to oh. the United Nations. Okay. So her job brought her here. And we were allowed to come with her as guests. So my visa was an unusual kind of visa. It was called G1. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of that. Explain to the listeners what G1 means. Well, the G1 visa is uh, the visa that people who come with diplomats get. Okay. It's a guest visa. Mm. Uh, uh, It's a guest visa, so... When you're part of a diplomatic family, mm-hmm. you get a G1 visa. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, that's what I got. And um, it's interesting because although I was here legally, that visa wouldn't allow me anything else. So mm-hmm. I'm in the country legally, but I cannot work. Mm. I cannot get any kind of... Um, aid 
whatsoever. And so at some point it became a bit depressing to know that I was living here, but I couldn't take any advantage of any, like I couldn't uh, get an education mm-hmm. easily. I couldn't get a job. Mm-hmm. So I was doing odd jobs at times, you know, for my neighbors and people who needed like, because I was kind of good with computers. So mm-hmm. people would like say, hey, can you come fix my computer? Or can you come check something with my computer? And then I'll do the job and, you know, they will tip me. Mm-hmm. I'll do like a lot of odd jobs like that. And uh, then I wanted to go to college, but I wasn't eligible for mm-hmm. uh, any kind of, uh, uh, how you call it? Uh, <clears throat> tuition aid, stuff like that. So my mom had to pay out of pocket, which is very costly, you know. And she paid out of pocket until I did my... Uh, associate degree mm-hmm. I just felt like here I am young man capable of working can work, mm-hmm. can study in a such, um, can study in, in a way that I knew that, okay, I'm going to college for this and by next year I'll be done with this program. I'll be mm-hmm. done with my associate and then my bachelor, and, mm. you know, because I didn't know if I could attend next semester. I had to pay out of pocket. And um, there were some semesters I missed because my mom couldn't afford it. And can get tuition, uh, can get uh, what do you call it, uh, tuition aid, stuff like that. And um, just in the country, two, three, five years pass. I was still legal in the country, but it's like standing still. Mm. So I started planning to go back, you know, mm-hmm. because. I mean, the U.S. is is a great country, but if I'm here and I can't do anything, mm. what's the point, you know? Um, <clears throat> so I decided maybe it's better to go back or, you know, emigrate to another country where at least I can, you know, have a path to build my, uh, to, to, to construct my life, mm-hmm. have a career mm-hmm. and all that. And um, what ended up happening was, you know, uh, fell in love with the most beautiful woman. And uh, we got married. And that was the only thing that ended up Mm -hmm. kind of opening, allowing, no, making things, like opening the doors. But So when did you meet your wife? I met her when I was volunteering at a at a church, because when all this was happening, I got depressed. Like I told you, mm. sometimes I would just sit at home and watch TV mm. all day because I have nothing to do, you know. 
So um, ended up getting depressed and feeling like, what can I do? Even if it's not for me, what can I do? I, I want to get out of there. I mean, I want to get out there and do mm-hmm. things, you know. And I thought, oh, volunteering is good. So I went on, was it Craigslist? I think it was Craigslist. I went on Craigslist and I look at volunteering opportunities because for me it was a way to go out there, do something for other people and also be part of the social fabric, you know? And so I remember my first volunteering was Meals on Wheels. Oh, that's great. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. I'm like, I can do this. Even if I don't get paid, I love this. And then I volunteered at a, I was a very, I was a regular volunteer at a housing works in the West Village. They had a little shop there. And I would go there as if it was my day job. I would go there from opening to close sometimes and oh, most of the time. You know, I work as a cashier. I will, you know, maintain the shop. And from there, on my weekend, I thought, I still want to get out there. You know, I don't want to sit home, watch TV, and complain about my situation and worry about when my life is going to start moving forward in terms of careers and stuff. And so I started volunteering at soup kitchens. And the first soup kitchen I volunteered at was called, we nicknamed it Meatloaf, it's known as Meatloaf Soup Kitchen, but it has a name. I think it's called University Soup Kitchen. That's the real name. Okay. It's in the, on, the, on the east side. So it used to be on First Avenue, First Street, something like that. It was in the basement of a church there. Then they moved it two blocks away from there. And... So every Saturday, we'll go there, cook meatloaf. Meatloaf is always on the menu. That's why it was known as Meatloaf Soup Kitchen. And I will never miss a Saturday. I will always there from, you know, opening to close. We open at like, I had to be there around 7 o'clock. So we'll make breakfast and then we'll make lunch. Then I thought it wasn't enough. I want to do something else on Sundays. And I went to another soup kitchen called at St. John the Divine Cathedral, also same thing. So I dedicated my, myself like that. And it's at the second soup kitchen I met my wife. Ah. Because she used to volunteer as a social worker. So I used to go there. I used to see her most Sundays. And it's funny because she was sitting on a table, you know, in a corner, and she had all those flyers about all the programs that, People can use, you know, like for like for SNAP food, uh, food stamp stuff like that. And I was too shy to talk to her. I was very shy, and I'll just see her. I'll say hi, hi. We'll say hi. A year passed. Two years passed. We haven't spoken really. Oh wow! It was just good morning, hi. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know. And then one time, uh, the church organized an event on <clears throat> Amsterdam Avenue there. And they assigned, they assigned us a, a task. Like, it was her and I. 
we, we had a table. No, I'm good. So they gave us a table. It was a, how you call it? One of those fair. Yeah, it was a fair. And so we went, we went at a fair, and that was the first time I was assigned a task with her. And that was the first time we really got to talk, and we became friends. And from there on, we became very good friends, and eventually our relationship developed. And in 2014, March 2014, you know, we got married, and so... And now you have two boys, right? Yeah, two boys. That's awesome. Four and two years old. That is very cool. Yeah. So do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have my sister here. Mm -hmm. She came the same way. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And would you say that um, the, the, the transition to, the, like, moving from Togo to the United States, was it the best decision you ever made? Well, I mean, the, the way I see things, I see pros and cons everywhere. Yeah. Definitely, I love New York City. I love the U.S. But I don't really sit down and compare both places because Togo is also a beautiful country. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not as rich as the U.S., but I grew up there. And, and I kind of miss the social interaction there. I, you know, because there, I feel like there's, um, I don't know, I connected much easier with people, probably because I, I was born and raised there, mm -hmm. you know. So I miss that easy interaction with people. It's very easy to interact with people there. It's like you have nothing to prove. There's no status to prove. You just you sit there and people say hi to you. You don't even know them. You can talk to anyone easily. It's not a big deal. There's no... You can ask for help easily mm -hmm. there, you know, and you don't feel maybe judged uh -huh. or you don't feel like you have to prove anything, you know. You don't have to be in a certain, have a certain thing, have certain things to stand out necessarily. Do you feel that, that that's something that's a characteristic of New York City? Well, I won't say it's a characteristic of New York City, but I would say that's what I've experienced from New York City, especially going to college and just interacting in general. I felt like there was always, you have to always keep up, mm -hmm. you know? You have to have the latest phone, you have to have the latest this, that. And I feel like if you didn't have those, I feel like people would look at you like, you know, you're missing out or maybe you you're not fit to to hang out with them something like that maybe it was just a wrong perception of me but that's mm -hmm. the perception i've had although lately 
I will tell you, I met a lot of amazing people here too. So, so I'm not going to say that it's a characteristic of New York. Mm -hmm. But I'll say that definitely, for me, it was way much easier to interact with people in Togo than here. Matter of fact, I had a friend, an American friend. She's from Detroit. And she was, uh, she was working for an organization called Kiva. I yeah, I know Kiva. Yeah. My, micro economy. Micro, micro, micro financing, yeah, micro funding. Yeah, I know yeah. about it. Yeah, I know about it. So she was deployed to West Africa. She mm. went to, among all the countries she went to, I know she went to Togo and then she went to Senegal. Okay. I think she went somewhere first. Wait, wait. I don't know if she went to Senegal first and then went to Togo. But when she was going to Togo, I hooked her up to my family. I said, hey, if you go to Togo, you can stay mm -hmm. in my father's house there. You know, he can house you. And so I called my dad and made the arrangement. Anyway, when she came back, she told me that she really, among all the places she's ever been there, oh. that she found Togo to be very friendly. Nice. And I was like, okay, that confirms my, you know. Your, your belief, yeah. Yeah, my belief because she said everybody is easy to talk to, that she didn't feel she had to prove anything or, you know, that the culture is just so welcoming and I'll definitely say, yeah, it's a very welcoming culture. That's one thing I miss about my country. And of I, origin. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine that like moving also it makes you realize the, the the good things about your country. Oh definitely, definitely. It makes you realize like you get to see you get to have uh, perspectives. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, that's why it's good to travel. Mm -hmm. That's why it's good to go from place to place because you get to have something to compare things to like mm -hmm. i feel like if you just stay in one place you'll think that's how the world is exactly yeah it's so important to be able to open your mind when you move and travel yeah. and experience other cultures and receive it yeah and absorb it i mean i've heard beautiful things about togo as well we are all part of that west african <laughs> actually we west africa yeah Every country's different, I know. Yo, it's definitely. very, very, very different. different. A lot of people here think, oh, because I'm West African, I probably can easily connect with another West African from, like, let's say, Nigeria or mm. Ghana. And they're all different. They're, they're all, all different. different. Very different. And all have their own, like, archetypes. Like, their yeah. own particular characteristics of, like, People from Ghana, yeah. people from Nigeria, exactly. people from Togo, and exactly. and sometimes they're true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they're very true. Yeah. Like, what would you say is like the perception of someone from Togo versus Senegal versus Ghana versus Nigeria? I'm very curious. Well, when I was in Togo, mm -hmm. I would say that Togolese people had a lot of admiration for Ghanaians mm. because um, Ghana was like very business driven mm. very innovative West Togo is very laid back you know Togolese are very laid back very chill very not not lazy 
not at all. Mm-hmm. We work hard. It's just that we we tend to find comfort even in the smallest thing. We tend to be like, hey, I'm good where I'm at. I'm not going to seek too much. Or, uh, I'm going to evolve, but when the right time comes or something like that, like, we're not totally, we're not aggressive, mm. you know, to the point of like, what's next? Let's get the next thing. Ghana is very innovative. Uh, mm. no. And Ghana and Togo, we have, we share a lot. Matter of fact, when the French and the British colonized West Africa, they, they split a lot of villages. Uh, so Ghana and Togo share a lot of yeah, I know a lot of territory, languages and pl- food and culture and things yeah. like that. I know that yeah. I definitely know. So yeah, when I visited, I went to there's like a is it a rainforest or something in Ghana or something? They have there's like it's like a forest. Yeah, yes, yeah, and so, well, I, for it's a forest. I don't know if it's a rainforest. No, a forest. There. Yeah, but there was one I visited in Togo. Was really like the border was right across the way. Yeah, and I was drinking palm wine. <laughs> yeah, palm wine is. It's famous yeah. in West Africa. Yeah, and so yes. I was there, and then they were saying, okay, well, Togo's here, and this is Ghana. And exactly. Like, and we're right next to A lot of places door. are like that there. Mm-hmm. Like, you go to a lot of places, and even between Togo and Benin, mm, there yeah. are a lot, of village, uh, lot of towns that got cut in half mm. because the colony, you know, the colony is it, how you call them? You're saying it right. Yeah. Colonization. Colonization. Yeah. Oh Colonization. my god. No, I can't say it. <laughs> oh. <You're right. laughs> anyway, the the Europeans came and just really divided the land regardless of culture, you know, culture and tribe and connection yeah. and families. Yeah. Really just took a country and created countries for their own perception. Yes, exactly. And what they so. felt was necessary. And it's just, it's very disturbing because when you look when you look at the history of Africa, or even West Africa, let's be specific, and you go from country to country, you realize that a lot of, there's a lot of factionalism, there's a lot of, you know, inter-dialogue of like, yeah. which place is better, or which tribe is better, et cetera. Yeah. And, that part of, and a lot of that comes from like, the colonial power separating, yes. and creating these hierarchies, yeah. and, it's just disheartening because it yeah. makes you realize what it can really do and mm-hmm. what perception that changes of people in definitely, every country. Definitely. And, and like, for example, like, no, tell me about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you what do you think about that? Like in Togo, would you, you said there's almost 70 languages that are spoken. Oh, yeah. A lot. It's a lot. A lot of languages. Is there one language? Oh. Yeah. Is, Is there it- one language that's more common to speak besides French? Oh, yeah, French? definitely. Mm-hmm. One is very common, but it's mainly mm-hmm. towards the south. Okay. It's called Mina. Okay. And it's kind of like, even when you move towards the north, more people speak it. Um, it's very common. Okay. When I was there, I could understand when somebody spoke it, but mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I couldn't speak it back. Like, I would re- answer in French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But in the north... We have a uh, Kabir, which is a dominative language. We also have other languages like there's a language called Koro, Ko, <laughs> it will sound a bit Kotokoli. Mm. Yeah. And it's kind of like cousin to Kabir. They sound similar. So they dominate in the north. 
But in the south, you have Mina and Eve. As a matter of fact, Mina is spoken a lot also in Ghana. Oh, wait, is Mina, what's one, what, what language is it? Mina spoken between, is it like the Wa, Ga, what people? What like tribe in Ghana speaks Mina? I don't know exactly, mm. but I know that many tribes speak it as a, as, as a second official ah. language. Like, it's a tribal language, but that spread, like other tribes learned it. Okay. Because um, it became kind of like a trade, uh, a commercial. Okay. Tribal language. Okay. Yeah, like people, a lot of people spoke Mina. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people speak Mina in Togo and in Ghana too. Okay, very yeah. awesome. New, new knowledge for me. Uh, and we talked about comparisons between Togo and the United States, obviously, and why you left. But would you say that Togo, when you left, was, was flourishing? Well, yeah, in a way. Although there's some kind of political, a lot of political dramas. Uh -huh. Thank God there's no war. That's blessing. So that's the good thing about it. I mean, there, how many wars have there been in Togo recently in the past 50 years? I don't recall. There were a few, how can I say, like one week, two days, gun battles. Mm. I won't call them wars. There were attempted coup d'etat okay. before, yeah, but it didn't last. It was like attempted coup d'etat and, and it got shut down fast. But we haven't had a major war, like something where thousands of people died and, you know, no, no major war. Nothing that would, on the scale of a war. But there's been some few political unrest where people protested and mm -hmm. people got into fights, stuff like that. But nothing on the level of a war that, yeah. And I hope <laughs> there's no war because... But other than that, I would say it's, um, it's flourishing. Mm -hmm. Because I hear from people there. I haven't been back in a long time. When's the last time you were back? I haven't been back yet. Oh, it's been I'm, a while. I've, I'm planning on going back, mm -hmm. but I want to go back with my kids. Yeah, of course. I want them to grow up a little bit before I take them back. Mm. You know, I, I take them on vacation. Mm -hmm. They're very young, so I'm waiting for them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm waiting for them to um, grow up a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe when my oldest is eight mm -hmm. and my youngest is six no i'll take him but so what were we talking about? we were talking about what is the economic and political situation oh yeah, it's yeah so from where uh, i hear people tell me that that there's a lot of new structures there's mm -hmm. a lot of new things um i'm not there so people are saying a lot that it changed that if i go there i won't even recognize the country the infrastructure is improving. Matter of fact, I was on Facebook and I follow a Togolese page on Facebook. And there's a guy who started an electronic cars uh, manufacturing there. Oh, wow. I was impressed. Oh, wow. I was like, wow. They built it from scratch. That's crazy. Electronic is a small car electronic 
it doesn't use uh, uh, gas, it uses batteries. And nice. I was like, oh, cool. Look at that. You know, I was so proud. I was happy. And um, I'm like, okay, that's a good sign, you know. Uh, although they need better internet system because the internet keeps going down. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I can't call my mom because I call her a lot on WhatsApp. And she, sometimes she loses the internet connection. Yeah, that happens with my mom and my dad with our family in Ghana. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about it just like, doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know. I, I it's don't. funny because we were one of the first countries. We had internet a long time ago. Like, as mm. soon as it came out, when it became popular, we were in one of the first countries to have, I would say, a fast internet mm. infrastructure. And then it just stalled. You know? So we probably need to work on that there. <laughs> Advantageous for everybody, for sure. Would you say that... Did you ever feel persecuted in, in Togo? Did you ever feel that you didn't have enough political freedom or economic mobility? Or <sighs> The politics are complicated there because... Hmm. I usually try not to get mixed into it because it's, it's just very confusing. Um, because the politics involve a lot of things. It involves political parties. Also... Underneath it, there's tribal unrest. Like, oh, this tribe wants to take over the country. Uh, That's how people see things like that. Like, yeah. they don't see it as, oh, this party is trying to take over the country. They see, like, oh, the people from the north or the people from the south wants to dominate the entire country. Uh, this tribe wants people in power. There are, there are more people in power from this tribe than that tribe. Mm. So it's... It gets intense like that. Like, other than that, all the tribes get along. Everybody get along. Everybody live wherever they want. You can be from the north, be in the south. Nobody's gonna bother you. You can be from the south, be in the north. Nobody's gonna come after you. But when it gets political, it's like that's when you see the ugliness of all these tribes come mm-hmm. out. Like, you know. It becomes this tribe versus that tribe versus this tribe, you know. And it gets ugly like that. So I will say that's where the politics truly lays. It's, it's like a tribal business. I don't know. Um, but that's how it, it tends to look like, you know. And is there any, like, are there names of particular tribes? Oh, there are so many tribes. That are, like, the ones that are vying for power? Um, is there the, are there any names of particular tribes that are vying for power or that are fighting for power? Not really. I'll just say something like sometimes you'll but it's not so rigid like that because mm-hmm. you see from what I heard when I hear people argue it's like oh the tribes from the north and the tribes from the south it's, it sounds like north versus south Sounds like it. Yeah. But there, here's the thing. Also, there are a lot of tribes in the, in the north and there are a lot of tribes in the south. And sometimes among those tribes themselves, they're fighting too. So 
it's confusing. It's, I usually just ask for peace. That's all. Um, I don't really get too involved into it. Mm -hmm. Because discussing politics in Togo is, is like a, trigger, a triggering thing. It's mm -hmm. like people fight over that all the time. People and fight over politics, period. No? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the only thing that brings people apart. Other than that, people get along. And I just hope that our government evolves to the point where maybe it's already at that point, I don't know because I'm not there, where they include politicians from every, almost every tribe oh. into the government to make every tribe feel, you know, considered, you know, so they don't feel like the government it has certain people from certain tribe more than, or more in a powerful position than, you know, other tribes. Okay. So I just hope that it gets to that point where, regardless of the tribe, people just think about the country mostly, not their tribes, you know. Because it's one country, and it's a tiny country, you know. It's a very small country. It's, it looks like almost like a rectangle. I know, it's yeah. tiny. I know <laughs> yeah. what it looks like. So we better get along because it's a tiny country that's very resourceful, mm -hmm. that can do great for itself like but i can say that we have some the politics are evolving and it's not perfect yet but i'm very confident that uh it's gonna get better mm -hmm. i'm optimistic you're about. optimistic yeah so we talked about the politics in in togo we talked about moving um, and what that meant for you. We talked about getting married and having two beautiful kids. What about how you feel about being a, a U.S. citizen? Are you, are you a naturalized U.S. citizen? Uh, I'm not a citizen yet. Okay. I have, I'm a permanent resident. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've applied for my citizenship. But right now I'm a permanent resident. I love the U.S. Um, it's funny because... Um, What's the difference between permanent resident and a U.S. citizen and a green card and holder and all that? A green card holder mm -hmm. is a permanent resident. So, yeah. Okay. You're okay. a permanent resident when you have the, the, the green card. And how, and, and, and how, did you get the, how did you apply for the green card in the first place? Um, you just fill out a USCIS form. I don't think I can define no. the U.S. Custom and Immigration Service. I think that's what it means. Mm -hmm. And you fill out a form. I don't remember what the form. I think it's I. I forgot. No, you're totally there's fine. A, <laughs> yeah, there's a form for it. You fill it up. You pay the fee. Is it a, is it expensive fee? Somewhat. It's, I would say the entire process costs about 1000 to $1,200. That's a lot. Well, because USCIS don't get, I, I believe they don't get a congressional budget. So they get it, that fee. Pays for it. Pays so, for it, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you fill the form. Sometimes it's good to have a lawyer, immigration lawyer help you with the form. I believe it. But, but that's extra that, money too. Yeah, extra money. That will take you up to 
5000 yeah. to 10000 dollars easily easily and did you have a lawyer yeah my first time i had a lawyer good one very very good lawyer i would say don't get scammed because there are a lot of so many people <laughs> will yeah. scam you yeah my lawyer was very good <clears throat> actually his office was on the same block as a, as a uscis building perfect yeah. It was very good. He will, he will always tell me, we will always check with the, the, the government, see what's the status of my uh, application. He will tell me what I have to do, when I have to do it. He was very good. He That's cared. And yeah, and then you have to do your biometrics, which is fingerprint, pictures. Oh, yeah. Then you have to do the interview. Mm. So you have to get interviewed by a, a government agent and basically they want to prove that you're not scamming the government you know especially if you getting a green card through marriage they want to make sure that it's legit is not a scam you know so you have to prove things like residency or you have to prove that you no know, you live with your wife and you have to basically convince the guy, the person who's doing the interview that your marriage is legit, basically. And, and, and then when you get it, uh -huh. you get it, I think, for two or three years, then you have to reapply for 10 years, I think so. And you get a 10-year green card. <clears throat> now, with the 10-year green card, I think then you can apply for citizenship and stuff. So what year are you on? No, I'm on the 10-year green card now. <laughs> no, but what year are you on in the ten, within the 10 years? I think I'm on year second. Second year? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, all right. So you got some time. Yeah, I can definitely. And the difference between a permanent resident and a citizen is also uh, a citizen can vote. A permanent resident can't. Can't. Nah, nah. This is true. You can't. Yeah. That's what to say. And permanent resident can't not really work for the federal government. You got to be a citizen to work for the federal government. Uh, other than that, you know, everything else is the same. Health insurance, benefits, all that stuff for work. Yeah, everything else is the same. Mm -hmm. And have you ever considered living anywhere else besides New York? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the West Coast. <laughs> have you been? It's funny, no. but You just think you're going to like it. Yeah, because I've met people from there. Uh-huh. I just like, I don't know, their vibe, I guess. It's just very chill, very friendly, very mm -hmm. relaxed. I don't know. Laid back and very... Um, friendly and the sun i like i don't like winter i hate winter so that's one of the factors that i hate winter winter My is just thinking about winter i'm not depresses me yeah it, and it's so it long makes me want to leave new york it's so and it's so <clears throat> long and right now it's not even really winter it's the beginning of yeah. fall and yesterday was so warm yeah um, so that when I left my house in a skirt i was like oh god it's mm -hmm. actually winter you're, it's winter, Kyra. And so yeah. I had to remind myself that like it's coming. It's mm -hmm. November. 
give it a month and it will oh, r- yeah. probably be mm-hmm. very chilly. What I remember, and I've only been in New York a year and like eight months, is that I would say like January, February is, is the worst. Is the worst. Yeah, it's, it's very brutal. It's brutal. It's, it's freezing. It's 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 almost like it snows a little bit, but it's not not much. It's just yeah. freezing wind. And as someone who is just now exploring the West Coast for the first time in my life, where, I, where were you born? I was born in Texas. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I went to university in Boston, and that was like a whole shift because winters in Boston are horrible. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. The of East snow. Coast. Yeah, it's just yeah. bad. But the further up you go, the worse it is. And mm-hmm. uh, I, re- I realized then how much I, I hate the cold, even though it gets cold in Dallas, but it gets cold and it's cold and then it's hot and it's warm. Yeah. And, then it, and for example, my Christmas days have always been very very temperate, like mm. I would say like 65 degrees, but the day before it could have been like 30 mm. and then it goes up and then it drops again. Um, so here it's so different. No, here uh, it's... It's like, it's serious seasons, which is, is nice to have seasons, but it's also kind of a lot when yeah. winter is so long and then fall and then spring, it's just rain. Yeah. It's just rain and it's chilly and it's gross and it's rain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then summer <laughs> is like blazing hot, and then it changes back again. Like it's so destabilizing. I'm yeah. like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, what was the weather like in Togo? The what? Uh, what was the weather like in Togo? Yeah, you. Oh, told in me. Togo we have actually, um, how can I say? Uh, we have two seasons actually. Is it the wet and dry season? Wet and dry. Yep, that's, that's what I thought. But they mm-hmm. split in a certain way, like. You have one long wet season, mm. one short wet season, one long dry season, one short dry season. I forgot how it goes. I forgot the month. I think uh, I forgot my uh, my the weather pattern. But it's, that's how it is. Like you have like I forgot exactly how it goes. But yeah, we have that kind of weather cycle. But it's never. It's never extreme. For, it doesn't snow. Okay. Yeah, yeah of course. Of course snow. not. Yeah. You're on the equator. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't snow. It doesn't snow there. Um, the coldest is there is like, you'll need a sweater. Okay. That's it. Uh, and our dry season is really ridiculous. It's kind of chilly, but the wind is, loud, is windy. And I swear to you, if you dry... I mean, if you you put a damp cloth outside, it will dry in less than 20 minutes. Yeah. Like, it's just super dry. Like, yeah. Wild. So. Yeah, those seasons are crazy. But what I was alluding to before about the West Coast is it, it seems like such a beautiful place in terms of weather. Mm-hmm. Except for, like, Pacific Northwest, it's just wet and cold. Yeah. And Bay Area is actually, like, their summers are actually pretty chilly. Because um, I was there before, like, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, this is not summer. This is, <laughs> this is cold. I don't like it. Now, everyone's telling me I need to go to Southern California, which yeah. I will go one day. <laughs> I'm going to Seattle for work yeah. in a week. So I'll let you know how that is. It's going uh, to be freezing. 
it's going to be freezing. Oh, yeah, 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 they're like, it's going to be cold and wet and freezing. Yeah. I was like, great. I heard Seattle rains all the time. I don't know. Yeah, That's what I heard. but they say it rains. Well, my friends from Seattle say it rains more here. Yeah. Yeah. And they say the and it's like very like here. It's colder. The yeah. what the what the, the rain. But um, getting back to it, yeah. uh, in terms of being like a black man in America versus a black man in Togo versus a black man, I don't know, anywhere else, what would you say are the differences of like your, your identity or how you come across? Or, yeah. Because what struck me when I went to Ghana the first time was that I walked in and I was like, everyone's black. Every person who's helping me is black. And there are white people, obviously, and Asians yeah. and Indians, but like, Everyone who worked anywhere and who had power were black. It was very empowering, yeah. and it was very different. Yeah. And I got used to it. And so then I, when I came back and I flew back to Boston, I, and Boston's quite white, yeah. I was I was like, where am I? <laughs> yep. Where am I? Yeah. I'm not used to people like the way people reacted or even talked to me. And I was very in my head about it. Yeah. Yeah. What's that like? Well, Togo is mostly black. Mm -hmm. We have a few white people there. Um, Matter of fact, there's more Chinese people than white people there. Same, there's yeah. There's a lot of Chinese people now there. Yeah. They're, they're, they're doing a lot of projects yeah, there I and know. stuff. I know. The dam in Ghana. Mm-hmm. That didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Hope it works in Togo. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, coming from a country where everybody's black, you know, coming to the U.S., I knew that, I mean, this is a, you know, Matter of fact, people there call the U.S. white men's country. True. Right. So when you travel to Europe or America, they say, oh, you're going to white people's country. So I already knew. You I was already coming. knew. You yeah. already knew. You were prepared. Yeah. But everywhere. I, um, I wasn't really living. You know, you hear about segregations and yeah. stuff like that. You think, OK. But witnessing it, you know, impacts you in a way. Mm -hmm. So coming here first. I was just happy I was in America. Thank God I came to New York City first. Um, I agree. In the Bronx, which is perfect. And so my first years, I hear the news, you know, and you'll hear that, oh, yeah, a black man got shot here or somebody got arrested unjustly and stuff. And it's just like, okay, that's just news. It took me a while to really sink. Like, it takes a while to sink in. I think the first time I got really struck was when uh, um, Trevor Martin uh, got... Mm -hmm. And then the following week, this kid in St. Louis, uh, Brown, what's his name? Something Brown. Uh, got shot. He put his hands up and he got shot. That's when I really... I would say I have my walk moment. That's when I became like, okay, there's a serious problem here now. Like, it's not just some random things. I feel like, so you know, black people are very targeted here by the system, like the government, or you know, it's not just some random event. And it affected me deeply to the point where I remember last year. My wife and I went to Florida to visit my sister-in-law, her sister, and her husband are there. And I like Florida. It was, I love the weather, you know. And where we were in Florida is called Lee County. It's named after J. 
General Lee. The oh, Robert E. Lee. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. I mean, not oh, God, but yes, I know. So, <laughs> but we were there, and I kind of like the weather, and I like that there weren't too much traffic. Mm-hmm. The roads are wide. You can drive without any drama. I love that about it. You know, I'm like, oh, I wish New York City was like that. You know, you can find parking anywhere, everywhere. It's hot all the time. So I'm like, wow, this is a nice place. And the housing price there was very low. Like, you know, affordable. And I was telling my wife, man, I wouldn't mind moving here. And she was like, yeah, it's a nice place, but, it's, but remember, you're black. And I'm worried if you move here. She freaked out, you know. And I had to take that in consideration now. So now... And I felt so annoyed that as a black man, I have to think twice about where I move in the U.S., you know. Matter of fact, although I don't like New York City weather, I would rather stay here because I feel safer here, you know. And, you know, you have to think twice, like, oh, no, you just can't move wherever you want. And I feel like, you know, for a white person, they can move wherever they want. They want to go to Florida, they just go, you know. They want to move to Montana, they move, you know. They, they don't have to worry about their color, you know. Like, oh, if I move to Montana, I'll be targeted, you know. But as a black man, you have to worry about that. Like, I can't move wherever I want. You have to study the place. How many black people are here? Have they ever had a history of police brutality you know i was online researching places and researching how many black people there and it made me so kind of depressed it's awful to live like that i mean as an american you have to worry about where you go just because of the you know the color of your skin and um my wife is dominican mm. light-skinned dominican my kids are brown, and I can tell you sometimes I'm worried. They're boys. They're both boys. Sometimes I look at them and I'm like, wow, how am I going to protect them against racism? How am I going to protect them against, you know, police brutality? They're good kids. They listen to me. I mean, all I can do is teach them to behave right. They're still, you know behave right or not, this system, when it targets you, it comes for you, you know? There's really no escape. Yeah. You know, you can teach your sons about proper etiquette when a cop stops you. Yeah. Um, you can teach them about places to go and not to go after a certain time. Yeah. But in the end of the day, if somebody feels they're threatened or yeah. they feel that you are doing something against what you should be doing, mm -hmm they're still going to defend themselves yeah. and they have the right to do it so as a cop. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's scary. It's scary. It, it is very scary. So, yeah. Um, what I'm going to do for sure is, you know, educate them a lot about where I come from in Africa mm. and where their mom comes from. So they still have those connections. So important. Yeah. So important. Very important. Mm -hmm. They will, matter of fact, 
when they're old enough, they will learn the tribal language, all that. Totally. They may even go back to Africa, stay there for a long time at time, like maybe three months, mm-hmm. six months, you know. And because there, they'll be totally at home. You're not going to get targeted because of the color of your skin. <clears throat> there are a few tribal stuff, but not to the level of killing each other. It's like people just sometimes argue when they're drunk. You know, like, oh, my tribe did this, your tribe did this to my tribe, whatever. But they don't, you know, it's just like drunk argument. Like they, mm-hmm. But people get along easily. You don't have to worry about being different. Uh, yeah, I became so self-conscious. Like, I remember one time I walked to, when I came here, my first year is here. I was walking around and I went to Columbia. Oh, yeah, I did a program in Columbia University where it's called JIP program. I forgot what it stands for, but that's when I wasn't, I didn't have my working papers. So I was doing a lot of volunteering work. And since I was good in calculus and math, I'll go there to tutor people to get their GED, like uh-huh. to pass the GED test. So, like working people. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I walked there to Columbia University, I was walking there and I see a lot of white people, the lot of white students, mm. you know. I felt so singled out. I felt so intimidated. I wanted to leave right away. They didn't do anything wrong to me. You know, they were just walking around, but I felt so much out of place to the point where I almost ran away, you know. <laughs> but no, it gets it, it takes some getting used to, you know, and you just work with what you have, you know. True, you get used to it, but it's also still speaks to a bigger issue of representation. Yes, and feeling like you can go where you can want to go, and 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 feel that you are able to move in the places in spaces that you need to yeah and i think it's very telling um about being a black man or or a black woman in higher education and Mm -hmm. and wanting to belong or feeling like you are comfortable yeah and if you're not comfortable for example maybe you're in a class and you have questions but you don't want to ask them because you're comfortable and that affects you um if you're not comfortable maybe you don't really make friends and that can make you very upset and sad and that you don't really connect yeah um there's it, it affects a lot of things oh yeah <laughs> psychologically it, it messes you up mm-hmm. it, it makes you feel it creates a lot of you become self-conscious all the time you always and i don't think people should live like that where they always have to re- be reminded that of the color of their skin I mean, I'm proud to be black, but I don't always want to feel like, okay, I'm black and I'm here. How are people going to interact with me? You know, how are people looking at me now? What are they thinking of me? Uh, Is a white person smiling at me? Does that, is it a nervous smile or is it genuine? You know, you know, you have all this thought going through your mind, you know, like, all these things just, you know, instead of just being in the moment and enjoying your environment, you're kind of trying to read people, you know, who are coming across you. You're trying to read them to see 
you know, how they're perceiving you. And it makes you, it's exhausting, you know. It's tiring. It's, it's tiring. It's <laughs> tiring. And it happens a lot. And uh, you'll have to shut yourself off sometimes, right? Yeah. If yeah, not, you you're all. Shut. Oh, yeah. You have to shut yourself. Because if not, you are always thinking it. Yeah. And, and that's what I feel is really important for people to realize is that when people or when a person is sensitive or feels a certain way about an issue, like any person, you react a certain way because yeah. the experiences you've had. Um, and so if you are, if you grow up in America and you are, feel that you're singled out, you feel uncomfortable, you feel like this person could be thinking you're going to rob them or maybe this person's thinking that you are um, a great person or maybe they're also thinking that you are lazy because yeah. they've dealt with other things or maybe they think that, you know, you come from a certain socioeconomic background. All of these aspects affect how you deal with the world and, yeah. and, and, and in turn react. Yes, exactly. And people and don't turn, get that. Yeah, people don't get that. It's like, it's like, I always say that it's like you set up to to react in a way that end up making you look bad. Yeah, exactly. Although it's like you it's like somebody light up a match and instead of you know, they light up a match and then there's fire and then instead of saying, Wait, who lit up the match, they blame somehow the fire from lighting up. It's like, no, don't look it's not a fire that lit up. It's just the person who lit it up. You, you should look at. No. Exactly. You set up people. You put them in certain conditions. So they react in a way. And you say, oh, look at them. You know, look at how they are. You know, look at how angry they get. It's like, no. You made them that way. You drove them into that, those emotions. And now you're blaming them. For those emotions, it's not, you know, you know, you got to. <laughs> you're hitting on so many poignant facts. Like I'm, 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 I'm like, I, yeah. I can't even. It's just, I've dealt with it in many situations with I friends and work. And, and it, you come off looking like the angry black woman. And yes, I'm emotional, but, and, and yes, I can be angry, but am I like a prototypical angry black woman? No. Mm -hmm. Am I, do I have triggers and experiences that I've had that have, that are ingrained in me? Yeah. And on top of that ingrained on my family and yeah. parents or my great grandparents. And that's important. It's important. It's very, it's important. very important. So going back to what you're saying about your kids and, and you fearing that like you have, you know, these I will definitely connect them to their African and Dominican roots. Absolutely. Big time. For sure. They will learn. Matter of fact, my wife is teaching them Spanish. Good. I was going to say, I was uh, say are, you, are they learning French or any tribal languages? I'm being lazy. I'm teaching them how to count. Right now, well, they know good. how to count in French. That's good. You're starting. How old are they? The oldest is four. That's good. The no. youngest is two. Sam, that's the perfect time. That's the perfect time. Yeah. You're, they're going to be, they're going to learn. Oh, they will learn. That's so great. And when they're old enough, well, the reason why I'm waiting till they're a certain age is because there are certain diseases that I'm afraid, oh, like yeah. malaria. Oh, yeah, well, if they go there, deadly, this is true. True, yeah. true. And I want them to have a stronger immune system before, you know, I take them there. I want to mm. be prepared. Yeah. Know. No, it makes sense. My yeah. cousins went to Ghana. Um, it was common for everyone to go back 
to whether it be God. I have friends who, you know, Ghanaians or whether they be French or whether they be Chinese or whatever yeah. country and they're in their families takes them back there for a while to like, yeah. re, like to absorb the culture Definitely. and, and the language. I want my kids to absorb the culture. My, I'm not going to let them. It was my biggest regret because I wanted to go when my cousins Listen, left. You're still young. Don't say it's a regret. Oh, no, I'm going to totally go. Oh, definitely. <laughs> That's mean, not something. Listen, you can go anytime. I meet a lot of African-Americans from my work. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how's Africa? And I tell them, I tell them, <laughs> I tell them, hey, go, go visit for yourself. You love it, you know? And matter of fact, I read an article that there are a lot of African-Americans returning to Ghana. Yes, it's, it's the year of the return. Yeah. And so there's a huge festival in Afrochella at the end of the year, and which I want to go to, but I can't afford and it. I hope that a lot of African government will embrace them back because, matter of fact, I've been thinking about it. Uh, I've been thinking maybe that should be my next project. Kind of reconnect the diaspora to, like, let the African government or leaders know, like be open to embrace people back. Ghana is definitely a great place. Ghana is definitely a great place. It is. Togo it's is a great place. Yes. Um, but you'll have some of the place where people will be a little resistant, you know, like, oh, <laughs> the thing is some people. Ooh, tell, me, tell me stereotypes. Come on, let me know. <laughs> some people will be like, oh, you think just because you're American, because they see you as an American. Yes. They don't oh, see you as a black person. No, 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 no. You go back there as an African American. Oh, they're like, oh, just because you're American, you think you can come here and, you know. Oh, I know. I know. They also think you're rich. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> they will think you're arrogant to mm. come, you know. Mm. So, they just need the right message that, no, they're just coming back to their roots. Mm. These are your yeah, brothers and sisters. Exactly. Not, they're not coming here to belittle you. They're not coming here to make you feel like they're coming from America and they're more powerful than you or they won't take over, you, you know. They're just, your people coming back home. Yeah. That's all. That's it. We're mm-hmm. all connected and yes. it's so important to realize that. And first when I heard about the year of the return, I was like, I don't, okay, what does that mean? In Ghana, do you even have the money to <laughs> absorb that? My mom laughed because my mother's a cynic. And then my dad goes, they're both actually both my parents are cynics. Let's be real realistic. Yeah. But um, I was reading and talking to friends, and, and a few of them are Black Americans who yeah. were like, "I'm really excited because." Uh, and one of my friends is going back, and it's his first time to uh, to Africa. Oh I'm no, no, happy. he's he's been to Senegal, but it'll be his first time in Ghana. And I'm yeah. like, "Look at you going to all these African nations nice. and exploring." And so I'm very excited to hear how he There's feels. There's gonna be some challenges. Of I just hope people don't give up i just hope people don't you know see it as a negative thing it's just there's gonna be challenges on Mm -hmm. both sides Mm -hmm. but i believe that in the big picture is a great thing is a positive thing i totally love it matter of fact i probably eventually will will like make myself and my family available maybe i should talk to my mom or my dad see if they can host African Americans who are going there to yeah. visit, you know, that'd be amazing. That would be. That'd be really amazing. I will. I love to see that. I want to see people absorb their roots. You know, it's very important. 
is very important. It is very important. And what are your thoughts on... I did have, talk to a friend once. Well, this is when I was in San Francisco. And obviously the slave trade, which is part of the reason... Well, which is the entire reason why there's been such a, you know, massive, extensive, diasporic move of black people from left to right to many different continents. And he was saying how, you know, how we sold we sold our people into slavery. And I was, I was like, yes, tribally, yeah, I'm sure that did happen. Um, I, and, but I also, it made, it made me like take pause for the African-American perspective yeah. of slave trade and how, and yeah. like, and, and how that can be, you know, internalized of and course. feel. And I was like, I can see your perspective. Yeah. It's not the first item or, you know, idea that came to my mind, but, yeah. In war and even in peacetime, people are always trying to take advantage yeah, of people. Of people. And ironically, when I was in India and I had an internship after college, my friend, who is from Mozambique, says to me, "He's like, oh, you're Shanti. He's like, oh, the Shanti sold the people. I was like, I know. <laughs> I'm aware. He like he reminded me. I was like, I know. I'm I'm aware. I'm not happy. But, but let me tell you something <laughs> though. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the slave trade." Is more complex than that. Oh, it's so much more the complex. The version that. they teach African Americans is just a tiny truth. I would say tiny because that's not what they taught me in Africa. In Africa, they taught me totally different. No matter of fact, uh, I will tell people to read Black Africans that uh, authors like Kamara Lai. Mm-hmm. Kamara Lai is a very great African writer. You read his books, you will totally get it. Like. Like people sold people just like that. It's more complex. Well, what I was taught was this. Yeah, there were people who sold people. But the biggest scheme was actually deception by the white civilization. So what happened is the white people will come there and they will bring um, technology, like powder guns, uh, they will bring jewelries, gold jewelry, stuff like that, things they manufacture in Europe. And then they will seduce the chiefs, the kings. They say, hey, look all these things we have. Uh, if you give us some, if you send people with us, we can produce more of it. You can have more of this. With the promise that those people will come back. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. give us your people and we'll, you'll never see them again. Now, a lot of kings will allow them to take people with them just to realize later that they've been set up. And I don't know if you heard about resistances, like where people fought back. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It happened a lot in Uh Africa. Mm -hmm. You see, I don't think they will teach you that here. No, they don't. You have to read about it, like, separately. Exactly. (laughs) They'll only tell you, oh, yeah, your people sold your people to Mm -hmm. white people. Mm -hmm. That's... That's a big bullshit. I'm sorry. Fair enough. I'm, I keep, educate, educate, <laughs> yeah. educate the listeners. Educate me. Educate because it all. Educate it all. People fought back to mm-hmm. take back their people because they've been deceived and they realize when they see their peoples in shackles being led to the port, they see there was something wrong. But it was too late. Now the white people had guns. We had bows and arrows. They will win. And there were a lot of resistances in Africa. 
course there was. No and one's they just get, get killed. Yeah, and you get killed. Murdered. They get murdered. That's because amazing, they're yeah. trying to take back their people who are being shackled. So that's not something they will teach you in schools here. It isn't something they teach you in school. And I, let me tell you, by the t- like, the type, what, the type of history they teach you in school about they Africa, just say, oh, it's bl- so, it's so broad. It, it's such yeah. a broad stroke. So, um, I had to really research on my own aspects, and and yeah. so. When my friend from Mozambique said that, I was like, yeah, that's part, I, I can see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was one of those conversations that went on for a while. Yeah. And, and, and it was partially in jest. And then yeah. my friend in California, when he, and he said that to me as well, I was also kind of taken aback as well because it's a deeper conversation. It's a deeper conversation. And it's a deeper conversation with so many layers. There's a lot of layers. That I've it. only seen. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. there's something we call the three C's of slavery. I don't know if you've ever heard of no, it. No, I have not. Do tell. To Christianize people. Uh, oh, yes. To civilize. Rise. And In what's the third C? Colonize? Colonize. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, that I've heard. That's what they used. Mm-hmm. So the Catholic Church sent priests there to seduce people. And they lied to people, deceived people, and manipulated people to give them people black people turns out they were recruiting they were taking slaves like they were they will lie they will seduce they will bring gifts to kings and stuff and manipulate them and they will send people with them they will like yeah you can take some of my people but those kings had no idea that they were selling people they were promised that those people will come back mm-hmm they were promised that those people will come to white people's land, learn how to manufacture all those goods they bring, come back with the knowledge and the goods, and develop the kingdom's economy. Little did they know they will never see their people again. So yeah, you have some people who just flat out were paid to betray their brothers. That happens all the time even in the modern world. But you also had a lot of deceptive tactics they use to get slaves. Because as an African, I can tell you one thing, Africans' bonds are very strong. And if an African witness, a foreigner, abuses his brother, I don't think it's gonna be a good day for that foreigner. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, they revolt fast. Yeah. yeah. Africans are very friendly, but they can revolt really fast. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of resistances in Africa, a lot of fight over this. And that's not something you will hear about a lot here. They give you that very short version of, oh yeah, you're just kind of like, oh, it's not totally, white people are not totally that bad. Your people also are bad. They sold you to us, and so it's, it's such share a, the blame. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, like who has the power in this situation? Yeah. Do you not real like? What are you not realizing? What is taken when you come to a foreign land with weapons stronger than the people have, mm-hmm. um, with a certain perception of I want to get a certain wealth mm-hmm. out of people, and I, 
it's very important to talk about the fact that the history that is taught to you is a history you learn and you spew out and then you tell your children and their children tell their children. Just, just imagine most teachers here are white, right? You really think a white teacher is going to stand in front of his class and especially teaching a class where probably they're like black kids and tell them, oh, my race did something horrible to your race. You know, that's very hard to swallow. Like, they have to say something like, oh, yeah, so this happened. And also your people were responsible. So I'm not that bad. It's, it's rough. And whenever I think about this history of our people and why we are where we are, it makes, it makes me take pause to everything about history itself, about what it means. Yeah. And it's just difficult. Um, but yes. to continue slash wrap up, besides your family, yeah. what, what, what keeps you in America? Why not move? If you have the opportunity to move, yeah. why not move somewhere else? UK, Australia, France. I don't know. South Africa. It's know. funny because my wife and I, we're talking, we're like, so let's say in the worst case scenario or something, and, you know, this administration. Oh gosh, a second. <gasps> Sam, stop. <laughs> well, actually, firstly, not Sam. <laughs> I know, I know. Please don't. Please don't speak those words into the universe. Okay. <laughs> but yes, but anyway, worst case, worst case scenario. Whatever happens, uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you think we should move? And so far, Canada has been one of the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Canada actually has been ranked by the UN as the number one best country to live in. Mm, I've heard that. So, and I think the quality the f- of life is definitely higher than America. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it's not the first time they've been ranked number one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they also have their social problems. It's not like there's no racism. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of racism. Mm-hmm. But... It's about what you can get from from the country in terms of yeah. uh, social, services social services and support. Yeah. I think that happens <coughs> in a more efficient and directed way there. Yeah. Whereas I find it very difficult to... If you don't live in places like New York oh, or San Francisco, it. I don't even know what you do. Forget I don't. It. I don't. Forget it. Yeah. I don't know. And that's one reason why we, my wife was like, no, Florida is off the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, we're not going there. No. <laughs> yeah. But... um. Yeah, so Canada definitely, France maybe. Mm-hmm. But to be frank with you, my dream is. Oh, Ghana is another place. I love Ghana, even awesome. Togo. Yeah. The thing is, in Africa. In Africa, this culture is cool, but it's just that the financial opportunities are very scarce. Mm. So that's the problem there. That's the, that's the thing there. And that's the common theme. That's yeah. the common theme I hear. Yeah. I have cousins who live here and they were born in Ghana and they went to university here. And, and the comment and why they, a lot of people stay here, it's, it's the opportunity. Yeah, the opportunity mm-hmm. here. The financial mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, but, um, yeah, but New York City is cool. I just don't like winter. I hate winter. But other than that, the social fabric feels safer. Mm. And more diverse. I need to go up to the Bronx more and explore. No, the Bronx is cool. 
matter of fact, I will tell you, the Bronx is the future of New York City. It is, in so many ways. Brooklyn's already taken. Yep, Queens is Manhattan, gone. Manhattan, Queens is gone. <laughs> yeah. Now the only place where you have affordable rent is the Bronx. I know. And the Bronx has, you know, I meet people from Brooklyn and Manhattan, they tend to you know, talk down. On the Bronx, <laughs> I know. But the, the Bronx, Bronx are fighters. And I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm like, you really don't know the Bronx. Like, first of all, we, we still have big apartments. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I work in Manhattan. The rent I pay will pay twice your apartment in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. So don't laugh at me. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. And also, we have so many transit. In the Bronx, you probably don't need a car. There are buses everywhere. There are trains everywhere. We have so many lines. It's inland. It's not an island. When Hurricane Sandy and Irene happened, we didn't feel... We only felt the wind there. That's it. Everything was working. Electricity was there. Everything. We had no issue. No flooding. Nothing. Maybe a couple trees fell. But life kept going on. Manhattan was in the dark. Uh, Wall Street was in the dark. An apartment there cost like, I don't know, God for I mean. God forbid how much. Yeah, yes, so I, much money. I wouldn't even want to think yeah, about it. Yeah, no. People pay their hefty money there, and then suddenly they found themselves homeless, you know, in water, in the dark. I know. And I'm in the Bronx. I had my internet, my TV, my light. I could move around. The MTA was sh wasn't shut down. So... The Bronx is beautiful, is affordable. <laughs> it has all the technology that you can think of. So, not to diss Brooklyn or any other, but like, sometimes I go to places in Brooklyn where it's hard for me. I have to take an Uber. Oh, yeah. I know. I live in Brooklyn. I know. Yeah. <laughs> in the Bronx, you don't need, like, mm -hmm. all the train. You will go wherever you are in the Bronx. Chances are there's a subway two blocks away from you. And so I don't know why people underestimate the Bronx. I'm like, we probably don't know the Bronx. Matter of fact, the biggest park is Pelham Bay. Pelham Parkway or Pelham Bay. It's bigger than Central Park. It's bigger than Prospect Park. The Bronx has so much, so, so much to offer. And people who underestimate it, I'm like, Maybe you should visit the Bronx or read about it because you clearly don't know that borough well. <laughs> you know. <laughs> PSA for the Bronx. <laughs> yeah, I represent the Bronx. Um, when I came here, that's where I stayed all this time. You know. Awesome. Well. Thank you, Sam, for sharing all that you shared. It's been an awesome interview. Thank you for being patient with me and not organizing a better space to sit in. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, thank you so much for being flexible. And thank you, Kyra. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been so, it's been enlightening, it's been educational, and it's also been fun. So, um, I will let you know for the next steps, and we'll be in touch. Obviously, I'll see you in class. <laughs> Definitely. I'll see awesome. you Tuesday. See you Tuesday. Bye. Bye. I hope you took some knowledge and education from Pilsom's interview. Um, 
with what's going on today, it's incredibly important to understand the perspectives of Black lives. And he has given so much history and so much of it. So tune in next time for another interview and we'll speak soon. Bye.